Hello and welcome to the very first episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. I'm James and during my life I've been pretty fortunate to have received some really great gifts, but I've also had some pretty crap ones. More on those later, but it got me thinking, a lot of people must have some really great stories about some not so great gifts. So each week I'll be sitting down with a different guest to discuss the highlights of their career so far, as well as unwrapping the stories behind the worst gifts they've ever been given. My guest on this episode is singer-songwriter Rachel Rose. I first met Rachel about seven years or so ago. She was the lead singer in a band with a number of my mates. It was really nice to be able to sit down with her recently and discuss her career in much more detail than I'd had the opportunity to do so before. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So we're going to be talking about your music career. And what I wanted to know to begin with, was music always a big part of your life growing up? And at what point did you begin to consider the idea of pursuing it more seriously? So music was always a massive, massive part of who I was. I mean, I think like we joke and say that I came out of the womb singing. It sounds really bizarre, but I didn't really know any other way of being. So like where my friends would want to play like imaginary games or like with dolls and stuff like that, I wanted to play singing. So that was like playground days. And then I started having vocal coaching when I was 10. I didn't even know that vocal coaching was a thing. I thought that people just did it. Um, yeah. But it was, it was definitely um, a massive step into help me sort of mold the voice that I have today. I think definitely, I think probably the real turning point when I was like, this is now going to be my career and my sole focus was when I was 21. Um, and it was when I came out of university because I didn't study music at university. I didn't see the point because I knew how to sing. <laughs> um, and I still hold tight to that thought process. But university was a thing in my family and it was something I think I felt I should do at the time. And I don't regret it, but it was it was like I came out of university and I was like, well, I'm not going to do anything with my degree. Let's crack on. For people that haven't heard your music before, how would you best describe your musical style? I'm definitely a pop singer. I don't think I sound like any one person in particular, but I think the best person possibly that I could relate to is maybe Bruno Mars. So kind of pop with some maybe old school elements like soul funk r&b that kind of vibe but it's definitely got the, the pop is definitely there but it's just got some old school elements i love real instruments um and real like a real a real depth of sound so i think that's where that comes from do you tend to always perform with the band then i try to yeah i try to perform with the band um i do so basically i have a guitarist and I drag him around the country with me because some places don't let you have a full band but generally if i could have it my way i would have a full full band i mean i would have like two guitars, bass, drums, horn sections, strings, three backing singers, probably some dancers. Like I would have the full works. When it comes to writing your new music, how does your creative process look in terms of putting the songs together? I've actually put a video of this on my Instagram. So if anybody is listening to this and wants to go and look it up, I actually did a test for myself to film it happening just so people could see the process. And basically over the years, I've discovered that the best way for me to write is if I get sent music by other producers and stuff, or if I'm with the piano, because then the music and the lyrics work in a way together rather than just writing out lyrics and then trying to make them fit a mould later. For me, the best process is have the music there or be writing it on the piano and then let the lyrics and the story come through. Um, I think also because, you know, music takes on its own journey, the actual, you know, the piano piece or the production or whatever. And it helps you kind of fit where the stop starts would be, where you'd pull back, where you push forward, where you maybe would use more words, fewer words. It helps with rhythms and things like that. So that's my personal way of doing it. However, I know everybody works differently, so it has to work for, for you. 
In terms of lyrics, where do you tend to draw the inspiration from lyrically? Oh, that's autobiographical, that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I tend to, yeah, I tend to write based on my own experiences. I mean, when, when you come and see me perform, it gets a bit funny because I'm like, I wrote this one about a boy. I wrote this one about a boy. I wrote this one about a boy. And then thankfully, sometimes it's like, I didn't actually write this one about a boy. I wrote it about experience or whatever. But I also write my songs based on other people's experiences as well. So if I'm helping friends through a certain situation, you can kind of take inspiration from from anywhere, really. I know you recently composed some music specifically for feature films. And I was interested to know if the process in writing music for film differed at all from your own music projects. Yeah, it is, you know, because you're writing for a scene. So you're writing for a scene and you're writing for a style or a mood or a, or a vibe. Some of the process um, that I've been through with the films is we want a song that sounds like X. So this sort of vibe or this sort of theme or this sort of sound. Um, or it's this is the scene. Could you write the song so it fits this scene in terms of lyric, lyrically and sort of movement? So if you look again on my Instagram, there is a song on there from one of the films I did the seven and it's a dance scene they all get stoned and dance and they wanted the song to fit the flow of the scene in terms of their dance movement so they did all the dancing and stuff before I wrote the song oh wow so I then had to fit it to it as it were and actually it's one of the ones that I'm the most proud of because it just it just works and I was so it was so much fun to kind of sit there and literally just be like just play that scene back play that bit back just do it again and then like make the words all fit and everything. It was like a really intricate puzzle, but it was, yeah, a lot of fun. Oh my God. Right, Rachel, let's talk gifts. What is the worst gift you've ever received? I don't know if it's the worst. I mean, it probably is to some people thinking <laughs> what, but it's so weird. Like wrapped up in wrapping paper, like a proper gift, not just like a, a pick these up and thought and thought they might be useful, like an actual gift. <laughs> the stuffers that you put into bottles so that people can't put drugs in your drink. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that that's quite thoughtful. Yeah. But it's just a bizarre thing, isn't it? Like, (laughs) happy Christmas, please don't get drugged. I just, I found it just really odd. And it's just, how do you react to something like that? I think I was really just like, oh, thanks. That's really, yeah, these are great. But bizarre. Do you still have them? Do you know where they are? No, they ended up in the bin. I think I took them. <laughs> I think I had like, oh yeah, no, I'll definitely take these on nights out, and then never did. And then I stopped going pretty much on nights out because I'm not a massive drinker anyway. So I was like, these are no good for anyone. What's the worst thing you think anyone could buy you if you if you had to think nightmare gift and you open it up? What would it be? I'm someone who can be quite optimistic about most things. You can find a purpose for it. Yeah, like I'm usually like, I'm sure I can do something with this. I mean, I'm rubbish at stuff like ornaments. If you gave me an ornament, I'd be like, well, this is just taking up room. <laughs> there's absolutely no need for an ornament. Unless there's like a really heartfelt message behind it. It's small. I think if you were going to give me a big clunky ornament, I'd just be like, I mean, I'm. but this is the thing. I'm so bad. I'm just so grateful because people are like, they've obviously thought about that and thought, oh, she'd really love this ornament. And then I'm being ungrateful. Like, this is frigging awful. And don't want the ornament. So I'd feel bad. And then I'd just put the ornament somewhere out of, like, probably under the bed. And then I'd find it six years later and be like, why did I keep this? On the subject of being grateful for everything, I guess you get it more when you're younger, where you get maybe a relative that buys you something year after year after year because they think you like it, but you don't like it. Bath bombs. I can't stand them. (laughs) I cannot stand bath bombs. I, I mean, I don't even really put bubbles in my bath. The only thing I put in my bath is like Epsom salts when I have, like, 
post workouts and for a long soak just to help the old muscles. But bath bombs can't stand them. Yeah, not for me. Not for me. And I know a lot of, a lot of people do like them. So I get I get that they're like I don't know colourful or they smell nice or whatever or make your bath look like glitter. But I just, <laughs> just, want, just want my bath to look like a bath. <laughs> Sorry, anyone who recently in recent years bought me a bath off. What was your preconception of the music industry? If we go back to when you were younger, when you started your vocal coaching, maybe at age 10, you said, what was your preconception of what the music industry was like before you entered it? And how much does that reality differ now you're there? <laughs> well, that's a story. Well, funny <laughs> enough, from that age, I wrote songs and I had this narrative that if I was going to make it in the music industry, I had to write my own music. And although, no, that is not necessarily the case, the career that I have panned out in the in my head and the longevity I want out of my career, actually it's bang on the money because I don't just want to be a face. I don't just want to be a voice. I want to be a businesswoman. I want to be a writer. I want to be published. I want to write for all different types of projects, which is what has happened obviously with the films and, and things like that. And I've done a couple of other bits and bobs, but I want to write for other people as well as myself. So actually that random piece of advice that I gave to myself as a child has been an absolute winner. I guess like anybody did when they have a big dream is that you kind of, you follow the steps and then, and then the thing happens and then you, and then you just kind of blow up and that's that. And it does still kind of happen that way. But what they don't tell you age 10, when you start your vocal training is it takes 10 years to make an overnight success. Sure. So that's 10 years of hard, solid grafting. So obviously you have successes along the way. But, you know, you see it a lot where people suddenly go, oh, have you heard of so-and-so? Um, they're a brand new artist. They've just blown up overnight. And you go, actually, look back on their career and they were doing bits and pieces for a decade before we all knew their name. It just looks like they're an overnight success. Sure. So it's those foundations that you build under yourself to get you to where you, where you want to be. And I spent a lot of time being like, maybe this will be my big break. Maybe this will be my big break. Maybe this will be my big break. And then in the end, I've got to, I got to a point where I stopped looking for a big break and just started enjoying my process and learning and growing as an artist and trusting that when the timing is right, all these pieces will amount to something so much bigger. Was there ever a point with all of those maybe, maybe, maybes that you just thought maybe this is the last shot? I never, ever thought maybe this is the last shot. But after The Voice, I think was the first time I ever, ever had the the musician heartbreak the musician um depression where you kind of go can i keep doing this to myself i think because i thought the voice was going to be it even though i knew going into it that it wasn't really because it's something it's not something i ever actually wanted to do i wanted to do it more more organically and i don't don't get me wrong i really enjoyed my experience with the voice and i took a lot from it but i then when you kind of get caught up in it or you think oh maybe this is it maybe this is it and then when it isn't, it's just like, oh, here we go again. Like starting from the bottom, blah, 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 starting from scratch. And you, you never are starting from scratch because you learn so much along the way and you build on your experiences. But that was the first time that I ever had a thought that was, can I keep doing this to myself? You mentioned The Voice there and I wanted to touch on it because you appeared on The Voice in 2017. And despite mm -hmm. not getting a turn from the judges, your performance did gain a lot of attention on the show and online afterwards. I mean, I think your your audition has something like 4 million views. What did you take away from that experience overall? If I'm honest, mate, the greatest thing that came out of that experience was who I connected with behind the scenes and how the audience reacted to my performance. I always wanted to be 
I don't want to say a real musician, in, but I mean that in inverted commas, but I wanted to be a musician who was part of the whole process. So the relationships that I build with my band are so important. I don't, I have never been a musician who sees it as an us and them situation. I never wanted to be in a situation where I was a singer who just hired in any old musician who just came in and I told them what to do and then they left. I wanted it to always be a collaborative project, even if they weren't a part of the writing. I wanted that, you know, when I play them, when I play my band, the songs, I say, hey, what does it make you feel? Now channel that through your playing because I'm not a drummer. So my drummer's no better than me. I'm not a guitarist. So my guitarist no better than me. If I don't like it, obviously I'll say I don't like that sound and they'll tweak it. But generally I trust them. And being on the voice made me realize how important those relationships are. So my best times were working with the vocal coaches, working with the record label and working with the live band on the voice. Cause I don't actually think people, a lot of people realize there is a full live band on stage with you when you perform, but you they're in shadows. And I find this baffling because they're so talented. They're absolutely astonishing. And they're just in the shadows. And I find that really odd, but anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I loved my, my working through it with them working on the song with them and kind of building this relationship with them because I never really got any feedback from the judges. So I kind of thought I waited for it to come on air and so I could hear what they talked about when I left. So I'd be able to be like, Oh, that's why they didn't turn. And they said nothing. They said absolutely nothing. If you look back on the, on the thing, they all sit in silence looking at the audience and looking at each other. And I was like, what? So no feedback, no feedback for Rachel. Okay. Um, but what I took from it is that they obviously showed the reaction I got from the audience, which was the standing ovation, which was actually the bit that made me cry in the end. It wasn't the fact that nobody turned. It was the fact that all these people stood up. And my mindset was, they're the people at the end of the day who are going to buy the music. They're the people who are going to come to your shows. They are the people who are going to support you and help you grow. They are going to be a, in inverted commas, fan base. So they are the ones that are important. And so for the reaction to be so positive from the general public and for people who watch the audition, and even now I get messages about it, that to me means more than anything. And that was like a nod from the universe that was like, you're doing, you're doing a good job. Don't stop. It's interesting you talked about the process because I wasn't aware you worked with the band before you went on the show. My, my naivety is that you turned up on the day and went on stage and sung your song. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. No, um, <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's quite a long-winded process, really. So I was scouted for The Voice. Um, so they approached me and asked me to go and audition. So when, you, when that happens, you basically skip a step. Oh, okay. So you've got the people who turn up on the day, and then you've got the people who get scouted. So I was scouted, so I skipped a step, and I went straight in, and I worked with, and my first audition was with a vocal coach, the record label head, and the producer of the show. And just before I went into my audition, I was wearing these black dungarees, and there was a zip on the side. They were fitted, and there was a zip on the side. And uh, just as I was about to walk in the room, my zip split on the oh, side, no. and I was wearing fluorescent pink underwear. Fluorescent. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my good Christ. And it was just as I was about to walk in the room, and I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I, so I had to I had this like bomber jacket with me and I had to try and tie it around my waist, but it was a small bomber jacket. So I couldn't, I couldn't get it to sit properly. And I walked in like holding my trousers and I was like, okay guys, I just have to tell you now in case my jacket falls down. I'm so sorry, but my dungarees have split and I'm wearing really, really bright underwear and I'm really embarrassed <laughs> right now. <laughs> but in a weird sort of way, it broke the ice and it made me memorable. So I was like, well, they're never going to forget the girl who walked in with pink hair and fluorescent pink underwear. That's, that's, that's all I can say. Um, so that was step one. And then you waited on a, a callback and it went from something like 30,000 auditionees to 200 callbacks. Wow. So even just to get a callback is like a big thing. 
And the callback is three hours long. So you go in, you are interviewed by the the production team. You sing in front of a room of like 10 people, half from the record label, half from the show. And you have a vocal coaching session as well. Um, So that was that step. And then in between that and confirming whether or not you're on the show, you then have to see the show psychologist to prove that, I guess, that you can handle whatever is thrown at you. Sure. That you understand what you're about to go into. Um, just things like they would say, for example, you know, people people are going to be talking, you know, people will see your audition and they will say things about you. They might say very, not very nice things about you, like how will you handle that, et cetera, et cetera. And then you await to find out if you get the call. And then, so finally I got the call. Yes, we want you. And then it was all go, go, go after that. So the following week was um, rehearsals in London. I had to take an array of outfits and the styling team helped you pick. So I picked your outfits and then you worked on your song. And in between that, you had phone calls. So I didn't pick my song. Oh, I was going to ask, did you pick it? So you never picked it? No, I never picked that song. I And I mean this with great respect and love to Ellie Goulding. I would never have picked that song. That's I, not a song I would ever sing. Knowing your music, I was surprised by the song as well. I thought it wasn't a song you'd pick. So it was... Between that and another one, which was uh, just bad. It was just not bad a song, but bad for me. It was just, I couldn't take it anywhere. It was very wordy. Um, So I ended up basically picking the best of the bunch and then trying to make it my own. Wow. So those those were the phone calls in between. So then when you're in the London rehearsals, you have a, a rehearsal with the full band and you work out what works for you, how it's sounding, blah, 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 blah. So that was that was a really, I really enjoyed that as a day. I found that really just interesting. It was just an interesting day. And I loved working with the musicians because just, just these are incredible musicians as well. Like, uh-huh. I just want to shout out to them because they're just, you know, they change. But it, I love working with people who can think, who are like that on their feet and they're just... Tweet, oh, we're just going to change that. We're just going to tweak that up. We're going to just elongate that. Think of it here. Work on this bit here. And it's just like bam, bam, bam. And we just worked as a team. And it also gave me that nod that I am, I'm good at thinking on my feet and I can work under pressure and that kind of thing as well. Which, which really was a, a nod to my growth and my development as a musician, which was important to me. Um, and then after that, I went to Manchester the following week. Spent a day and a night in Manchester, doing behind the scenes filming, doing. Um, more rehearsals, stage rehearsals, tech rehearsals. Um, so you actually rehearse on stage to the chairs, which was like, it was like, that was the moment I realized I was going on the voice. I was like, oh my God, I'm going on the voice. And the, the, the stage manager was like, have you only just realized this? And I was like, yeah, pretty much, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and then the following week was the actual audition. I'm a real firm believer in everything happens for a reason. So Although I had the emotion at the time and the slump at the time, everything that's unfolded since was just a, a real nod to you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And this is the start of something brand new. So yeah, quite an adventure. I can appreciate at the moment, what's next for you is probably a little bit different given the current global situation with COVID-19. But once we get back to a bit more normality, if you will, what is the plan for you and your music? Well, I have loads and loads and loads and loads of new music, um, but we've picked, we've sort of kind of whittled down to a final few. Although it's funny, you know, we I had um, a very sure cut plan um, with my management for what we were going to do next based on everything. You know, we'd gone through the songs, we picked everything, blah, 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 blah. We knew the times, the dates, the people were going to work with the studio, we were going to go and record it in, everything. And it's funny how monumental things like this happen and you start slowing down in your brain a little bit and you're like, 
I'm just going to make sure I'm making the right choices here. Are these the right songs that I actually want to release? Just going over everything because you're still, I'm still writing new material and stuff. And I wrote something recently, which I don't know, it just made me sit up and pay attention. I was like, is this something that might be better? Um, because you're still growing, you're still, you know, whatever. So basically, long and short of it is, there will be new music being released, recorded and released when this all sort of, when, when life can press play again. But I don't want to say too much about what it's going to look like and what it's going to sound like and what it's going to be because I can't promise you that it won't change. So all we need to know is that there is good new music coming. I've also been a part of a lot of collaborations over this time as well. So lots of DJ producers have been reaching out because I love collaboration. I'm just like, I will give anything a go once. And if I'm bad at it, then at least I've tried and I know that I'm bad at it rather than just saying, I don't think I can do that. I'm not giving it a go. I'm always like, yeah, let's give it a whirl and see what happens. Um, And also one of the movies, uh, another movie that I've done is coming out. And this time I actually flew to LA and acted and sang in the movie Um, yeah so it's just just a a small part but um, I also did the music for the movie as well as being in it and singing in it and um, so that's going to be coming out as well so lots of very cool stuff on the horizon and I'm taking this time to just rest regroup because I feel like it's just going to be a very busy second half of the year So, Rachel, wrapping up, if we think all the way back to the beginning of your career, what gift do you think you'd have bought yourself to help you get to where you are now? I think I would have bought my computer and my microphone earlier. So my microphone was actually gifted to me by Sennheiser, but I would have invested in tools that would help me grow. And I think pushing myself outside of my comfort zone has been one of the best things that I could have done for myself. And I think if I'd done that earlier, then maybe I could have developed sooner. Who knows? Things happen for a reason, but that would be my thing. And finally, where can people find out more about you and what you do? So my main point of call in terms of my day-to-day and my gigs and my, because um, I've been doing online gigs as well for myself and other people, but obviously in the current situation, and I'll be back on the road when I can be. It's on my Instagram, which is at Rachel Rose Music, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, not A-E-L or E-A-L, uh, Rachel Rose Music. And then that's probably the best place to find me, but also people can find my music on Spotify and iTunes. Just search Rachel Rose. I've got pink hair. So you cannot miss me. Um, <laughs> those are probably the two best places. I do have a website, which is rachelrosemusic.com. But if you want to be, and that's got all the main the main bits and bobs on there, um, if you want a hub, but if you want my day-to-day and general bits and bobs and want to contact me quickly, then um, Instagram is probably the best way to go. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me on my show today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Gifts Pod, as well as online at badgiftspod.com.